0: This program has been made possible through the support of Vanda, creators of Solutions for Non-24 Disorder. ACB thanks Vanda for their support. Learn more about Non-24 by visiting their website at www.non24.com.
1: Opinions expressed on ACB radio are those of the respective program contributors
2: and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected
3: officials, or its staff.
2: Well, good afternoon
3: and
0: welcome, uh, ACB. Um, Welcome to those of you that are joining us on ACB Media and uh, those as well that are joining us on Zoom. My name is Tom Tobin. I am the President-Elect of ACB Diabetics in Action uh, as of last Wednesday, so it's my pleasure to welcome you all here today, Um, and I think you're going to find this uh, a good use of your time. Um, Before we get into introducing our presenters... I'd like to ask if anyone who is new to ACB Diabetics in Action or may have some questions or perhaps you may wish to join ACB Diabetics in Action, I'd please ask you to send an email to ACBDA, abbreviation for ACB Diabetics in Action. So acbdaorg at gmail.com. That's acbdaorg at gmail.com. I'd like to give out the uh, continuing education credits. 01924 is what I've got, so hopefully that works. Um, so, without further ado, I'd like to introduce our presenters. Um, as some of you know, who've been reading the convention program, uh, Lisa, uh, Lisa, <laughs> Brenda Javadik, and Lisa Golden um, uh, handled our first track and. Uh, Yes, I'm biased, but I'd have to say it was a just absolute rousing success. It was so informative that all I can say is I'm thank God that uh, we re- recorded it because there's a ton of information there. So I uh, look forward to getting that uh, here. So uh, Brenda, <clears throat> Brenda and Lisa are both um, really subject matter experts on the whole areas of diabetes um, education and managing the disease, um, and it's been a real pleasure to work with them. If you're just joining us now and you didn't have the opportunity to hear the first session, I would recommend you get the recording. But um, And they're both Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Um, and um, so ladies, if we can hit it out of the park again this afternoon at 4 o'clock, I think that'd be great. So the floor is yours. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Tom, for the introduction. And so yes, my name is is Brendan Jugatic, and um, I'm going to first give you a little background in terms of what my expertise is around diabetes. Uh, My husband was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes back in 1983. So I guess that means basically diabetes has been a part of my life for about 40 years. Um, And I um, initially, as a nurse, I worked in public health, but then I had decided that, you know, I wanted to become a diabetes educator and be the best advocate for my husband and his diabetes. And so I started working at, I worked in a free clinic for a couple of years, um, seeing patients with diabetes, until I was able to write my certification exams. I became a certified diabetes care and education specialist back in 2006. And I worked for about eight years in an outpatient diabetes program. Um, providing diabetes education support around type 1, type 2, prediabetes, and gestational diabetes. And then um, for the last six years, I've worked for the Indiana State Department of Health, and my role was to increase diabetes education in the state. And um, one of the parts that was a significant and exciting part for me in increasing access to diabetes education was really getting involved in telehealth, which I just see has so many benefits uh, for so many individuals living with diabetes. And one of the pieces I had, um, one of the projects I had while working at the state was it was an employer who had employees that had both diabetes and significant had vision loss, and they had asked for some assistance. And the first um, idea was, well, we'll just connect this employer to some diabetes programs in the the area. And I thought, "Mm, I don't think so. I don't know how well most diabetes educators are at skilled at empowering people with vision loss to manage their diabetes, so I reached out to some of the experts in the field, and I was lucky enough to meet Anne Williams, who's really been a trailblazer and is currently, I think, In retirement, but still is available for some help. And and what she um, also introduced me to my co-speaker today, Lisa Golden. And I'm really excited that Lisa's here presenting today with me. Um, I'll just explain why and then I'll let Lisa introduce herself. And that is my experience around empowering people around their diabetes management with vision loss. I've been doing this for less than a year. So I am by no means an expert in this area. I am passionate to learn more, but I don't want to mess up. (laughs) So I'm going to say before I officially start my presentation that I apologize ahead of time if I say anything that's incorrect or inappropriate. And I have asked my (laughs) co-speaker, Lisa, please step in if I say something that's not quite right. So
2: Lisa, go ahead and I'll let you introduce yourself. Okay, well, um, I'm sure Brenda will do a beautiful job. She has got so much information to share with us. Um, I, My name is Lisa Golden. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor. I work for the vocational rehabilitation services, um, mostly in blind services for the state of Texas. And um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a certified diabetes care and education specialist. So I've been working in diabetes since 1995 And about 11 years ago, I got this job, and I had to take everything that I thought I knew about diabetes and look at it from a different point of view. And that has been so incredibly rewarding, and um, I'm just happy to do this work and to advocate for people of all disabilities, um, to the American Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists, to legislatures, to all kinds of interest groups, um, because People with disabilities are often not well-served when they have diabetes. So we'll, we'll see what we can do. We've got more soldiers in the fight. So today, um, so if, if you were
1: lucky enough to attend the, the, the previous workshop that was led by Lisa, she, what she really did was she reviewed, as diabetes educators, we review seven basic self-care behaviors to successfully manage diabetes. So I'm going to take a different spin. So what I, my presentation is, well, what can Blue Zones teach us about living with diabetes? And maybe there's some of you saying, what are Blue Zones? I'll get to that. But so that's the, the, the um, theme of my presentation today, is what can Blue Zones teach us about living with diabetes? And so my objectives for today is I'm going to, first of all, review with you the research around Blue Zones, the common lifestyle habits in Blue Zones. And then really explore um, how can we apply this research to living with with both diabetes and vision loss. So um, this research was carried out about ten years ago by Dan Bütner, and he worked for the National Geographic, and he went around the world to find out well where do people live the longest and the healthiest? And then it took several more years. Several years of um, research to really look at, well, what do these, they were able to identify five um, communities across the world that people lived well into a hundred and most of them had absolutely no chronic disease. And, you know, so what he wanted to look at was how is it these people live long, healthy lives. And they were identified that there was nine common lifestyle habits among these five communities and, and, and some of this research is really based on um, the Danish twin study that looked at you know length of life, and that 20% is genetic, but 80% is lifestyle. And sometimes I think there's a misinformation out there with people that they think that you know if 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 my um, my my father had type two diabetes or he had kidney disease or he um, any any number of issues that I have no choice. Well, what we know is genetics kind of as they sometimes referred to as genetic loads the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger, that lifestyle has a lot of impact on both our health, our wellness, and how long we live. And so, as I said, blue zones are where individuals live long, healthy lives. And the five blue zones that were identified were some communities in Greece, Japan, California, Italy, and Costa Rica. And in California, it was, um, let me see, it was Lomo, I now I can't remember. Loma Linda. I should remember that. And so they identified what that lifestyle habits were. And so um, they call these um, habits, they call them the Blue Zones Power Nine. So nine, health, nine lifestyle habits. And so I'm going to go through, first of all, to, to review the nine of them, just list them first of all. So number one is move naturally. Number two and three have to do with your outlook, the right outlook. One is sense of purpose, downshift, which is stress management. Number four and five is eat wisely. That is something called the 80% rule. And then um, number five has to do with eating more plants. Um, Number six, wine at five. And then the last three have to do with connections with others. And number seven is belong. Number eight is loved ones first. And number nine is right tribe. So when I go through these nine lifestyle habits, I'm going to touch on, well, what does Blue Zones tell us about this lifestyle habit? What is the, our general idea about how this pertains to our health and, and, and our well-being? And then how does it pertain to diabetes? And then how does this relate to visual loss? So with number one, move naturally. What they found in Blue Zones is that people live in environments that nudge them into moving without thinking you know they grow gardens they don't have medical they don't have mechanical conveniences for house or for yard work and then you know what we know in terms of about move naturally because of course lisa talked about physical activity in our first presentation and so we know that in generally um physical activity is good for our 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 well-being and it our bodies were made to move. And, you know, you'll hear some people talk about city being the new smoking. And just some easy examples can be like walking, housework, dancing, because sometimes, you know, as a diabetes educator, we've sometimes we've moved away from the word exercise, because it seems so um, defined, it means that you have to go to a gym or you have to do something specific, but even any kind of movement, any kind of physical activity will be beneficial for your well being for your diabetes. And then um, the, um, in terms of diabetes management, we know that when you're active, your body uses your insulin more efficiently. So whether that is that you have type 2 diabetes and your pancreas is still making insulin, when you're more active, your your body um, uses insulin more so that you wouldn't need, if you were incorporating physical activity into your daily living and it's early in the disease process, you, you may be able to put off starting on medications because the physical activity helps your body use whatever insulin you're still making. It uses it more efficiently. Or for example, if you have type 1 diabetes and you're injecting insulin, physical activity makes that insulin you're injecting, it, it makes it more efficient so that you don't have to use as much insulin. Now, um, the other thing about, uh, phys- about physical activity is that it's going to help with stress management. You're more likely to sleep better. It's building both strength and endurance. It helps with blood sugars and, and, and blood glucose, and it can help with weight loss. But as, as Lisa had indicated, you know, with activity, with exercise, you know, there, there can be a risk of low blood sugars, hypoglycemia. So that's why testing blood sugars before you exercise and after just to kind of get a see. What is the impact? Um, and this is where I would do, I guess I would call it my little commercial for diabetes educators. Because I know some people with diabetes, they, they, they exercise, they're doing the right thing, and they get low blood sugars. And they're like, oh, this feels so terrible. I'm never going to do it again. I don't want to. Or what they do is they eat a whole lot of food before they exercise so they won't get low. So this is where a diabetes educator can help you to find a balance with physical activity, your medicine, and, and, and food, and still feel. Um, feel better, be healthier, and have good blood sugars. Now, um, the other thing that's important is that if if you have certain eye diseases or certain exercises you have to be careful not to do to avoid, and that's, again, why if you're starting a new exercise program, you may want to work with either discussing that with your physician or your diabetes educator. And I'm happy to say that tomorrow there is another diabetes educator who's doing a program on exercise and physical activity. So she'll go into more detail with this. Um, But I also uh, wanted to share um, that there's an educator, I came across her, um, an article that she had had written, and her name is Deborah Skoll-McKay, and she is an expert in diabetes and in vision, vision loss. And she gave examples of treadmill, stationary bike. Rowing machine. She talked about um, getting a trainer to help doing swimming, but maybe using the wall as your reference point or um, lane markers. But also, what's amazing about this conference that we're participating in is that the conference also has information and promotion of physical activity, whether it be talking about supporting walking. So it would be with, um, um, I guess, it was first. I guess first, I'll say advocacy. Before I go to the conference, uh, the American Council for the Blind has advocacy around, you know, use of sight dogs, um, white canes, technology to promote independence and promote going out and walking, going out into your environment. And maybe, maybe Lisa, you can touch on that more because you know more
2: than I do about this. Yeah, I think those are a lot of tools that can be used. But then I also want to remind that we have all kinds of activities, goal ball, um, you know, things that we can go and do. Um, You know, I love a good baseball game and um, stuff. So, you know. Those are important social events, and even if you're not the one that's actually playing, just getting out there and moving and being with your friends, it's going to do you so much good getting out of your, you know, especially post-pandemic where we've all been stuck in our homes, Um, it's going to do us so much good to get out there with our friends and walk across that field and and be there. That's activity, Um, even if we're not the star player. (laughs) Even if you're cheerleading, jumping up and down in the chair. Well, and, and the other thing
1: I saw for the conference agenda, I saw that there were things like um, uh, non-traditional blind sports, adaptive sports and um, self-defense so that, you know, and, 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 bowling bonanza. So it's like, there's, you know, this is opening up my eyes because I wasn't aware of this, but there's lots of things available to help you with this particular health, healthy lifestyle. And so the, the next one is um, the right uh, the right outlook, and, and and when the blue zones and so purpose sense of purpose is when I wake up in the morning, is why I get up in the morning. And knowing your sense of purpose is apparently adds seven years to your life. And I think we all have to feel that we have a purpose. And and what I have learned in this past year is that oftentimes for people with vision loss society looks at what you can't do. They look at oh well, you have vision loss. They don't realize you still are an individual with so much potential so much to offer. And I think that's where your, um, again, the um, advocacy comes into play with the American council of the blind. And I know there are other advocacy groups as well that are really helping you to, to, to reach your purpose to whether it's getting employment or going to school. Um, and, um, the The one story I can share is um, I, I, I learned about the CEO of Bosma Enterprises, and his name is Jeffrey Mit, Mit, mitmum and I, I heard about his life story and what it was is he was a military guy and he was in, had gone to Afghanistan, gone to Iraq, but at the last rotation in Iraq he was hit his vehicle was hit by an IED, and of course he, he, he was um, transferred to Walter Reed. And he lost one eye, lost his nose, the vision in, 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 so I think he lost his his right eye and lost the vision in his left. And um, he was in a coma for a month. And so when he woke up from his coma, he said, what's my wife doing here in Iraq? But what he had found when he woke up from the coma was that one of his colleagues in, in another part of Iraq had also been a victim of an IED, IED, but he died, and it was really interesting because he did a TED talk, and and he talked about like you know well I'm alive and he's not, so so what am I going to do about it? And and he goes like I still, I I've been lucky and I'm going to have a purpose. So he continued doing some work with the military and helping with VAs um, with vision issues, and he's now the CEO of Bosma, which is a company that hires people that have vision loss, and they also do rehab. And so I, I just think of that as like, a, in terms of talking about sense of purpose, that um, it's so important. And and I can give another example that's not quite so dramatic is my neighbor, my neighbor next door is Johnny, he's 87 years old. And um, he's a retired principal. And sometimes I get behind in my, my yard work. And so last year, he said, you know, I'd really like to help you with your brickwork because I have like some brickwork between my sidewalk and the road in the front of my house. He says, you know what? I'd like to take out all those weeds for you. And he said, I've been doing some research. You know, we can put some really fine sand in between and there's a coating that you can put on. And, and so I was like, sure, you know, I paid for the materials, but he was thrilled to do that. So I think having a purpose and feeling that your life has meaning is an important part of health. Would you have anything you'd like to share on that? um, Lisa.
2: I think we all have different passions and um, there's different reasons we wake up and sometimes it is work or, you know, I I certainly love to learn things. And so that's always a a passion of mine, but I really love this blue zone because it really makes you have to reflect on your intentions on what's important to you. Um, And I do think that the blue zones kind of help you, Approach your health from your personal values and ethics, and um, and this is certainly one that really makes you do that. Why do I wake up in the morning? Why? What would inspire me to be healthy? Yeah, and I, and I also think as
1: diabetes educators, I think this is something we do really well, because um, a lot of times when people come in to see us when they're first diagnosed, you know, they're depressed. They're angry. They're ashamed. And, and and so we kind of say, so tell me tell me about yourself and, and tell me, you know, what, what is it that you want to achieve in life? What's important to you? Um, and so that, like, you know, if it's, you know, it may be someone who's a little older says, well, I want to be able to dance at my daughter's wedding, my, my granddaughter's wedding. I'm gonna say, okay, okay. So to, to be able to do that, you, you, you need to look after your health. And so we could work together um, to help you look at, you know, the, the, the you know, go over the self but personalize those self-care behaviors. And, you know, you know, maybe coming in and just the thing is with diabetes educators is they can help you manage your diabetes. But the thing is, diabetes is not something that sits still. It evolves over time. There's so many things that can affect it. And and so that what I recommend is that people come in to see their educator. Once things are, you've got things settled, I would say come in and see your educator maybe once a year or twice a year. Think about your health and your diabetes like your car. You know, I think everybody, at least most people, take their car in once a year, even if nothing's wrong, just say, just check it out, make sure there's nothing that's going to go wrong or things I'm not aware of, so I can fix it. And that's kind of how I really encourage you to think about your diabetes, because things can happen. I mean, let's say you lose your job, and you're really stressed. And prior to that, your diabetes is under good control. The stress of that can impact your blood sugars. Um, or let's say that you <clears throat> fell and you, you you twisted your ankle and you can't walk anymore. <laughs> that last that lack of activity that was there before. Because remember I said that activity helps your your body use insulin more. So if you're not active as active because of that injury, your blood sugars will go up. So that's why it's important to invest in yourself and invest in your your diabetes management so that you can reach your purpose. Excuse me, I gotta get some water. <laughs> one of the hazards of talking too much um, but what I can say is I also looked on the website for the um, American Council of the, of the blind and it said I'm just paraphrasing part of it but it says an organization who want to for, to support those who want to achieve independence and equality so and again this goes back to your purpose well taking down those barriers that <coughs> sometimes are in the way of having you fulfill your potential and that's what's really so exciting and I also came across um, the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, and I really like what their vision statement is. It says enables people with low vision to make full use of their vision through all available aids and to educate regarding potential capabilities and needs of
2: people with low vision. <coughs> I apologize. I was fine the first presentation, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's how it always happens. Um, <laughs> And yeah. so I just I think you're bringing out a lot of good resources um, because, you know, sometimes we find our purpose in the service that we do for others. And yeah. all these organizations, a lot of y'all are volunteering your time here at this conference or um, for AB, yeah. And, uh, you know, that can be a really great way for you to find um you know people to serve that are like you that yes. you can connect and you can um help each other
1: yeah and again when i looked at the agenda for this conference there's things that helped people reach their full potential so it's like some, there was programs on special education transportation women's issues guide dogs Microsoft, Windows accessibility, wrestling with technology, advocates for equality, employment support, reduced rate of unemployment. So there's resources there. It's really exciting to see that. Okay, so. Next slide. So number three is the right outlook, and that's downshift. What they mean by that is, excuse me, Um, in in these blue zones, people do have stress in their life. But what they routinely do is they have activities that, sh- that shed stress, that gets rid of stress. So it's incorporated in part of their daily living. And I sometimes feel <clears throat> that all of us in, 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 you know, 2021, we're constantly going, going, going. We're constantly doing things. It's almost like the little hamster going in a wheel going round and round and round and round and round. And it's like we have to take time to stop. We have to take time to find peace. And, and so there's different ways of doing that. But that was something was definitely part of these communities in the blue zones. And so what I would say to you is <clears throat> you can think, well, what are my sources of stress right now in my life? And then the second one is well, how do I usually respond to stress? And sometimes or a lot of times we automatically respond to stress without even thinking about it. And so it could be. Um, in, in um, I came across an article about. Many of us have habitual ways of, of of avoiding life and the challenges. So it could be shopping, alcohol, food, where we're eating our feelings rather than addressing our concerns, drugs, surfing the internet, watching hours of TV. So that and 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 that's kind of the i think the first step towards improving improving your stress management and finding peace is first being aware so what are the things that cause me stress? how do I respond, and then think, hmm. What are some things I could do differently? And I will tell you, this is much easier said than done. This is a lifelong journey where you're constantly um, being aware of what causes you stress and learning. And sometimes you'll be good at it. Sometimes you'll say, when I when something gets me really mad, instead of getting angry, I'm just going to take a deep breath, close my eyes, breathe into my nose, out through my mouth and just do some relaxation breathing and calming thoughts and say, it's going to be okay. But then there are going to be other times when something happens and it just caught catch you off guard and you get angry right away. And so that um, it, it, it takes a lot of work, but if you're willing to do, it and if you've got friends, family who will be willing to support you and, and maybe do some of the same stuff and you share it together, um, you can be more successful. So it could be, I'm going to give you just some examples. So <clears throat> Relaxation, breathing, talking to a friend, listening to music. Now, for some people, I mean, my favorite music is in my young, my seven year old granddaughter loves it. Is list, I have my, my little. It's a, hey Google, but I talk to it. I forget the exact name of this. But I'll say hey Google, play relaxing piano music for me. And so I love I, it's, I find it very soothing to my soul. But other people, when they really want to listen to music and not think about stress, they may go to hard rock. But so, so music can be a part of your stress management. Pray, prayer, uh, going to church, um, those are reading the Bible. Um, those are things that can, for some people, meditate um visualizing um any kind of exercise meeting with a counselor and certainly that you know one I guess you know when we look at COVID one of the things that's maybe a positive is there's more I think there's increased understanding and less judgment around having issues with anxiety and depression and that we're you know through my experience in terms of promoting telehealth is to, <clears throat> telehealth for counseling has exploded and it's really making it more accessible. And there's a young woman I work with who has type one diabetes since she was three. And she shared with me that, you know, living with diabetes has been hard for her. So she's been going to a counselor on a monthly basis, but when COVID hit, she started getting her counseling telehealth once a week. And it just, she said, I didn't have to take time off work. I didn't have to travel there. And so, so I think we're starting to see people not being embarrassed um, but if you are, you still don't have to tell anyone. And, and one of the things about telehealth is that it can't be more confidential. People don't necessarily have to know. So looking at ways to, to, to manage your stress is important. And we include that in our seven self-care behaviors. I don't know. would you have anything to add on that,
2: Lisa? I just think the, there is a lot of shame and stigma about around stress. And sometimes we put that on ourselves um, because if you're, I people that say I never get stressed and I'm like, uh, uh-uh, <laughs> that's, that's nobody gets away from stress. It doesn't mean that you're not a professional and it doesn't mean that you don't, are not able to help, cope healthily. Um, but I just think that whole put on your own um, oxygen mask before you help others is a real thing. And so to, put some stress management in your life just as natural and not feel guilty that you're doing something fun for yourself or that you needed, you know, time with your buddies and, um, or needed to take a bath, you know, that it, there's something so wonderful about going in and taking a bath instead of that hurried shower so you can dress professionally and get out there. Um, so I just think that this whole concept of shifting that these blue zones have it, there's no shame around it it's like it's okay for us to build into our routine anything that will help us manage stress and it doesn't mean that you're a bad that there's anything wrong that with you that you weren't managing stress well but I, you're healthier if those are already a part of your routine yeah,
1: yeah. And I think sharing is important. I mean, I, I, my my youngest daughter at age 11 had major depression, was suicidal. We had to hospitalize on two occasions, very traumatic. But, you know, we worked through it. And we really, I really did the lifestyle approach in terms of it wasn't just the meds. <laughs> you know, we had to look at healthy eating and, and, and sense of purpose and, and managing stress. So when she was in um, <clears throat> in high school, She volunteered as part of her health class to do a presentation on her depression, and because I think, depending on where you're at, being able to share that sometimes makes it easier for someone else to say, "Well, if she's going, maybe I can." But but you have to be ready for that. It's not for everybody, and it comes when it's comfortable for you. But related to stress, so you know we're talking about the blue zones, but for, for diabetes, stress will increase your blood sugars, and and so that and then. Stress can also interfere with sleep, which raises your blood sugars, and it can lead to issues with like anxiety and depression, um, and it can impact your ability to concentrate, it can affect your relationship with others, so that stress management is important for all of us. And I know um, <clears throat> with our, this, this conference, I looked up some of the things in the, on the agenda, and I saw there's something about support for seniors, self-care, massage, essentials, and breathing, and the one is called Remember You Gotta Have a Heart. Relax while learning presentations and performances. And then um, one is called, so you want to pick the right therapist. So, like, so that there's a lot of resources, a lot of information out there. Okay, so next slide. Okay, so this one's interesting. And this one's called the 80% rule. And that is in these communities, first of all, people eat slowly. Because in our society, we eat so, so, so fast. By the time we get full, by the time that brain gets the message we're full, we're overfull. So that in, in, in this, these communities, they eat slowly, and then they stop eating when they think they're 80% full. So they're not depriving themselves of foods that they enjoy, but they're saying, I'm going to eat slowly, which means you'll probably eat less. And then um, I'm going to stop eating when my stomach's about 80% full. They eat their smallest meal in the late afternoon or evening, and they don't eat anything for the rest of the day. And that's been shown to be helpful for diabetes. And so that um, if you were to follow this rule where you're eating slowly and stopping at 80%, you're reducing your caloric intake. It's preventing overeating and probably can help with, with weight loss. What, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Lisa?
2: I think this whole mindfulness um, movement that has been around for a while now is is basically this 80% rule. Um, I think you should enjoy, you know, food is meant to be enjoyed. And, you know, you should taste it and smell it and Um, just go slow and enjoy that, that moment, enjoy that time with your loved ones or friends, um, or colleagues, you know, I enjoy going out to lunch with my work friends and that's something that I've missed over the past year, but I can really slow down and stop, um, you know, take full advantage of my full, whole digestive system by using this principle of being only 80% full, um. I think we forget to check with our stomachs uh, throughout the meal, you know, to see. And if you, I think it helps if you portion size your plate and you get to the end of it and you do that body check and you're like, no, I really am still hungry. It, you shouldn't feel guilty mm-hmm. for having that your body <clears throat> you yes. you need it. Yes. But you it's having it? that body check and listening to what your body is saying. Yeah, and sometimes too, starting your meal with a large salad
1: so that you are getting that sense of fullness, so that you know it also that those are also helpful hints. So I'm going to go on to the next slide, and so um, number five is plant plant. And and what and what um, they found in these communities is that um, a lot of these individuals their diet is based on plants. Now it doesn't mean they're strict vegetarians, but first of all, being their diets, So means and the single beans that but lots of protein, um, and then they. In these communities, usually they eat it on average maybe five times a month. And when they do eat it, it's about the size of a deck of cards. So so these are the, what they've learned from these communities that live long, live healthy, this type of, of, of eating habit. And um, we know that um, eating more plants, having more fiber um, is going to be able to help with weight loss. And when you're eating a lot of plants, it's not like you have to count calories as much because these are very... Um, they're low in calories, and but but provide fiber and help with the fullness. Um, eating more plants can help lower blood pressure, can be good for the heart. Um, potentially, could be preventing type two diabetes. Can reduce risk of cancer. It can improve your cholesterol. So there's lots of of lots of health benefits, and then. Um, Certainly, um, as far as, you know, if this was something that you were interested in learning a little bit more about, um, you could, you could make an appointment to see a dietitian or a diabetes educator and, and ask about saying that you you would like to learn more about how I can incorporate more plants into my, into my, my diet and, and and take it from there. Okay. And then um, what I was going to say in terms of um, the, um, I think under the um, American Council of the Blind, I think I saw some stuff, information on cooking classes. I mean, is that something that you're aware of, Lisa, in terms of how to cook? I mean, even I guess that's part of rehab too, right? When if you're first um, having vision loss and you have to learn how to do your daily activities without with reduced vision.
2: Yeah, I, actually, um, that was part of my initial training when I got this job 11 years ago, um, was to do a lot of the cooking. Um, and I very much enjoyed that. And I still I have bet, better nice skills than I did pre-working um, in vocational rehabilitation. Um, and I actually find that to be actually um, like stress management. I love to chop some vegetables up. And I guess my only other comment is, yeah, there's availability to do it, and if you're interested, but just finding a way to include more vegetables in your diet period. So if you're not eating vegetables, just having one a day, you can find a way to get that done. Um, You know, it really will help improve. If you're doing three vegetables a day, try for four or five, um, and see how you can improve that um, vegetable intake. because. I am a big believer in getting our vitamins and minerals naturally through our foods than through a pill form. And um, I think you're better in so many ways when you include more plants in your diet.
1: And it's interesting. I'll share with you that I attended um, a physician advisory meeting back in 2017 where they were, it was a presentation on the research demonstrating that a plant-based diet can put diabetes, type 2 diabetes, into remission. And I was like, I didn't really know that. I mean, there's a lot of evidence. And so I thought, well, because I'm thinking, you know, sometimes when, when, as an educator, when someone's first diagnosed and and, and and they're saying, is there anything I can do? If I know that, I could have said that, you know, going to a diet that has more plant-based could, could help. Or, you know, someone's about to go on insulin, and they're devastated, they don't want to start. And then, you know, it could have been that this could be something you could have tried. Um, But what I can share is I, because I want to learn more about this, I thought, well, I have to practice what I preach. So I am, I'm definitely a plant slant. I, I eat almost no red meat very little meat and but what I've started to do is eat eat, eat vegetables I've never had before and I've started eating the foods that they say are like the, the good foods for you like you know they were saying like for your biome that helps to because your your digestive tract is part of your immune system and there's the biome like foods like like dill pickles and olives are good for the biome and I've never really eaten them before now I'm like darn, I like those or eating like um, vegetables I've never had before and it's and I'm actually enjoying it I was like this is this is kind of fun I said you know I think I for me I, I, um, I I've always been a vegetable lover anyways but just so those are things to be aware of and know
2: that those are things you could explore if you're interested I think right now is a perfect time because to have this discussion because all our farmers markets are open and that is a Exercise. Hey, you're walking around. You're being active. And B, it'll inspire you. There's going to be something there that looks good. You might be able to talk to the farmer about how to prepare it and how what they really love about it. Try something new. And, um, you know, it's a really yeah. good time of year to have a little bit of plant slant. And, and even ask, tell your friends
1: because I have told my friends and my, my my two good friends when when we go to um, to each other's house for, for for dinner, we're now doing more of a plant sign and having fun with it. So it's like kind of like because you know when you're having all that other stuff, it's like it, it's kind of not what I really want. So sometimes telling my friends turned out well; they're going to support me, which is kind of fun. Okay, next slide. And so um, eat wisely, wine at five. And so this is what they found um, <clears throat> in the, in these blue zones: is that people when they're together. Um, at, at a meal, at the late meal of the day, they would share a glass of wine. And, and, and I think the key message here is the moderation part, because we know in, 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 in our world that um, excessive alcohol is going to lead to a a lot of, a lot of problems. I mean, even if you just start with just the basics, if you were to go out and drink excessive amounts of alcohol and you're on insulin, you could get severely low blood sugars from alcohol. And as someone once said, so is that how you treat diabetes? I'll say no. (laughs) Um, But, um, and so that um, I, I would just say that in terms of generally whether we talk about alcohol, smoking, uh, street drugs, Um, over-the-counter drugs, pain medications, sleep medications, we just have to be careful because abuse of those can really be devastating to your health and your well-being. Next slide. And so the next three um, have to do with belonging. And so that um, for um, number seven, it's belonging. And that what they found for these communities um, is that a majority of them belong to a faith-based community. Now, so we can take that as what they did, but you know, if we're applying it to your to, to your to your own life, I think that I think belonging to a, a community that um, you feel you feel a sense of belonging and, and enjoyment, and I, so that it can be faith based, but I also think it can be even like what you're seeing here at the American Council of the Blind. I know, even when I first met as a speaker with all the people planning it, I'm on. These people are just having fun <laughs> you know so it's it's like I think this this is an advocacy group that also encourages social engagement and that um, even as Lisa as you were saying that you know if you're going to a game and maybe you're not playing but going out there with your friends and cheering them on because sense of belonging is really important that's where you get your love and your support and and, and I think that's really important for our well-being and I think again an example of what COVID has demonstrated we need others and and and, and I think that one of the most devastating things about COVID was not being able to be together with those people you care about and having fun and support and all that that, that goes with um, belonging relationships. What would you say
2: in terms of that? Lisa, do you want to add? Um, I just think there are so many communities that you could uh, A lot of us um, do have a faith-based community, but there's so many communities, like you said, that you can belong to, that you can be um, passionate about, and lend your voice. And um, that, again, I have to say that when you serve others, then it seems like it just comes back to yourself. Um, So. All the benefits come to you, not from and not necessarily to them. So if you find, uh, you know, whatever your interest is and whatever community you currently belong to or want to belong to, having those connections um, really makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and I and I, I like what you said because it reminds me of the th- that, quote, "It is in giving that we receive." You know, and that because sometimes if we focus too much on our own on our own self, then we there's a tendency to feel like, "Woe is me," and my life is terrible. But when you reach out to others and do the volunteer work, and apparently volunteer work is a big thing, but the blue zones is giving it because as you say, it, it, it is in giving, and that again it helps with that sense of purpose. That it, so it's connecting and and and, and feeling. Um, a sense of purpose in your life. And um, I know that um, <clears throat> when I look at the, the, the um the um, American Council for the Blind, I mean, there's, like, virtual book clubs by phone, and even for this conference, there's Friday Night Bash, so that sense of belonging and sense of community is really important for your well-being, and that extends to your your, your diabetes management, because, you know, know, I I sometimes say that we, we as humans, are very complex. We're not like a machine where you go, okay, put in your medicine, put in your your food, put in your drugs, out will come good a good outcome is so rather we are uh, you know we are our body mind heart and soul and so we can't it can't we can't just be thinking about that physical aspect because we're more than that we're not mere machines okay next slide and then so this one is really looking at putting um, others, putting families first. So again, it's an extension of the sense of belonging and aging parents and grandparents that live near one another, commitment to a life partner and investing in children with time and, and love. And, and, and again, with the, so, so these are things that they found in that community, but I don't think we have to take it be that this is exactly what we have to do for our own health. Because I mean, some people are in a committed relationship for the life partner. Some are not. But I mean, I still, still think that. You know, you can still have having that family connection. And I like what they talk about investing in children, because sometimes sometimes there's such pressure to overachieve for parents and make lots of money and buy all these things when really what our children really need is love and time. Um, and, and, And so I think that's what they're really saying is that connection with people who who you love and love you really contributes to a longer life and a healthier life. And and when I look at what the benefits are of this kind of connection, it's going to be helping you with stress management. It gives you a sense of purpose. So having a social support helps you to confide, interact with, get your support, you know, whatever challenges you're facing in life. And I noticed even for um, <clears throat> talking about loved ones for the American Council of Blind, I see that there's a, there's a presentation on sensuality and sexuality. And again, looking at, I mean, that's an important part of relationships. And it's good, it's good to have that here because I think, again, when my understanding is that, you know, there's the society sees the, the disability and not, the, this is still a full person with full potential and full same needs so that it's important to break those kind of barriers. Okay, so next slide, which will be my last slide. And so um, what, what they say is belonging to the right tribe. That means social circles that support healthy behavior, friends that are committed to each other for life. And they did a study, a um, framing study. I remember hearing about this back when I was in university. But it said that smoking, obesity, happiness, and loneliness are contagious. So looking at maybe hanging out with people that want, that care about their health or, or, or people who want to enjoy life. I mean, it doesn't mean you turn your back on if you've got a friend who's always negative Nellie, but making sure that, you know, you, you are sometimes who you surround yourself with or maybe and maybe you can have impact um, and maybe your happiness um, can be contagious. Um, and, and that long-lived people have social networks that favorably sh- share their health habits, or their health behaviors. So if you're wanting to start eating healthy, um, but... Half of your friends like to go out for you know go out for a couple of beers and have some pizza and dessert as a, that's their regular way of eating. It's hard to go out and eat healthy. Um, so sometimes if you've got some friends that are more supportive, so so it's it, it's just something to think about because when when we talk about um, our role as diabetes educators, it used to be that we were it was diabetes education diabetes self-managed education. That's what we used to be, but we added the support. So we now promote diabetes self-managed education and support. You have to have someone who's supporting you. And if you can find someone who also is wanting to exercise more, who wants to go and do some fun things with you, or someone who's willing to come over and maybe you could do some cooking and try new recipes that are healthy. Um, but being aware that the people that you're surrounded with, if they're always negative and they they have no interest in health, that's probably going to have an impact. And um, what I'm going to ask Lisa because you know I, I did the blues on, but I'm asking,
2: how would you think
1: that applies to diabetes?
2: I, I'm only getting about half of what you say. I don't know if you can hear me, but it's it's breaking up for me. Okay, um, okay. I'm just going to comment. Um, About this section, because I felt like um, one of the things that pandemic did for me is allowed me to have some of these Zoom meetings with family and friends. And so there's a group of um, women in the Detroit area that I have known for a while. And they always have these beautiful in-person healthy eating parties um, because quite a few of them have diabetes. And so... Being able to come together as women and have everybody be very conscientious that they're not bringing a lot of those less healthy foods to the table, but we're still having a celebration. So um, mm-hmm. it was fun during the pandemic, because being in Texas and um, (laughs) being up north, I don't get to see them very often at all, um, except admire the meals that they're having together, but they would plan out, we're going to have this kind of theme of healthy eating, and then these are the topics, these are the fun things we're going to talk about doing, and so um, even through through Zoom, we would meet for a couple of hours, um, you know, Almost every other um, weekend, and um, come up with some ideas, and so it was a great um, way for me to connect with. I feel like is my a little bit of my tribe, <laughs> and so uh-huh. so I really do. Believe if you have support for these healthy behaviors, um, that you're not the only one. Like you said, um, you know, ordering the salad because that's what you have to have. And if we can make the salad look as enticing as possible, um, then yes. it's a big difference that you, you know, you've got that great flavor, you've got that great smell, you've got that great look to it, and um, and it feels like a party. Yeah. I yeah.
1: think it's... And, and it's interesting because, you know, my husband, husband with one diabetes... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Continue.
2: I was going to say, I think it's interesting that happiness and loneliness are contagious. So it's kind of a thought. I know I've had my own um, depression issues through the pandemic. And one of the things, so, you know, they told me put on makeup and it does make you feel different. And I haven't worn makeup for years. And Uh uh, the other thing is to smile, to just try to, especially when we're doing these um, these kind of Zoom meetings, that people can hear your smile and, and it can pass that on. So, you know, I'd love to be an influence for good, and hopefully I am passing on. It may be, I may have to be conscientious of smiling and being happy at times, but if I, if I can do that, maybe it will pass on to other people. Yeah, and I think
1: also smiling can also, it can also make your, your, your if you're actively smiling, think, okay, brain, and, and, and think positive thoughts, um, because they do say that, you know, sometimes we can get into to, to behaviors where we're always thinking negative, and those are those pathways that are automatic in our brain, but if you actively say, okay, I'm going to try and look at the positive, like, I think back to the CEO from, from Bosma where he had a major traumatic injury. Um, but when he, and, and he had to deal with the fact that he lost his sight, but then he found out someone else died. So sometimes making that comparison and thinking that there are others that are suffering more than me allows you to, to, to be able to be, to look at the positive. So I'm, but at the same time, I'm not negating if people are going through that through stuff, but sometimes it helps. Um, I guess I can share a personal example. my husband, Um, was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and he died at age 53. And I was devastated by that. But then I also thought, well, a a good friend of mine, she died in her sleep. And then 13 years later, her 21 year old son died in his sleep. I'm thinking, it's devastating. So it's like, sometimes it's good to try and realize there's others that suffer. So it's easier to be more positive. Are we getting near the end, Tom? I hear
0: you. Yeah, so, Brenda, if I could just interrupt uh, again, another fabulous job, ladies. Un- really great information. Love learning about the blue zones. Um, we have about 15 minutes, so I thought we would try and carve out some time for some questions. I know we have one gentleman that wants to ask a question.
3: Charles? First, uh, when you say eat meat no more than four or five times a month, What exactly counts as meat? Are you also thinking of fish? Are you including poultry? exactly how broad is meat. And the other part of it is, are you saying actually that it's better to have a little wine every day than none at all?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, those are two really great questions. Lisa, which one do you want to take? (laughs) Or shall I take? Okay, Uh, what what I was going to tell you is that the thing about the eating... um, Um, meat four to five times a month, the size of a deck of cards. That is not what we're telling people to do. What I'm sharing with you is this is what they found in the blue zones. So based on that, they're saying that if people include include more plants into their diet and less meat, and so whether it be red meat, pork, chicken, fish, so um, so there's variations on what you call, if you go to someone who's doing a plant-based diet, um, there are some people that are like too strict vegetarians, absolutely no animal products. And then there are some that have that um, eat um, more plants, but still have um, um, protein meat in small amounts, smaller amounts in their daily diet. So we're not saying to do that. We're saying that's what the research found, but the, but the research around plant-based has demonstrated there. Are, if someone was to look you know, vegetarian, um, and and um, commit to doing that. They they have seen where people have been able to um, put their diabetes into remission. And 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 if you were interested in that on a personal level, you could reach out to a local your diabetes education program, um, or you could also look, um, reach out to a dietitian. Now the other question about alcohol, great question. And again, we're not telling we're not telling. Um, so when we um the information about wine wine at five like um that was what they found was a common um lifestyle habit in these organiz- in these communities by no means would i be saying that everyone should be drinking a one glass of wine every night at five. First of all um because we know that um some people can't handle alcohol, so if you're not drinking alcohol, I'm not about to have you to encourage you to start. And then, what I would say, if you do drink alcohol, the, the, the recommendations is no more than one a day, as Lisa had said for women, and, and, and no more than two a day for men. So that it's more about this is what the research found. This is what they were doing in these these blue zones where people live longer. But by no means am I telling people to start drinking wine. Okay. <laughs> that, does
3: that help? Yeah. Uh, thank you. I just wanted but like, is poultry as bad as red meat? Is there any distinction at all, or is or, and and fish better than poultry, or meat, um, or, or is it all, or is meat just meat, no matter what animal?
1: It um, I I, I, I I think. I think what you, if you're thinking about um, exploring this further, mm-hmm. I think it's a, a personal decision. So some people will, what some people will do. And so I don't like to necessarily tell people what they should do on this, but rather say that definitely more plants, is, it's better. Um, there have been, there has been research around the the, the, the ill effects of red meat. Um, And 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 so that and then looking at you know whether fish is better. But if this is something that you're interested in, I think it would be. I would encourage you to um, the dietit or a dietitian say, you know, I've heard about this. I'm not sure what I want to do, and maybe can you work with me to help me explore this and see and see where I might land on this.
3: Thank you. I hope
4: that's helpful. Okay, Randy.
3: Okay, uh, I just wanted to say that when you talked about belonging to the right tribe. Um, I'm a recent joinee of ACBDA, and I guess I'm shamelessly plugging the organization because when I joined, I thought it was because I could contribute something, but I really had a miscalculation for how much I got from the organization. And so having it be a give-and-take situation has really been huge for me, and I'm really looking forward to that relationship continuing, and that's all I wanted to say.
4: I have two suggestions for you, but one is sort of in the form of a question. I would love to see both of you take the content of your handouts and put them into either a Word or a text document and send them to the diabetes group, um, you know, with whomever your contact is. Because even for... Me and I've been a diabetic for a while. I found some fascinating stuff in there. But on my question, though, is sort of about the whole exercise component. Uh, I know that people are promoting things like goal ball, and then the other extreme is if you don't move at all, get up and move. That's great, but I think there are some of us who are sort of in the middle where. We're looking for ways to move. I mean, I'm 70 years old. I am not going to go play goal ball. I'm not going to no. go sit at a goalball um, yeah. thing. It's just not what I'm going to do. But I would love it, for example, if somebody would come up with um, a resistance ball class for diabetics or, you know, a jump rope class for diabetics or... Learn how to use the different kinds of resistance bands for diabetics Jeanette, and encourage that middle behavior. Jeanette, contact community at acb.org, suggest those things to Cindy, and I bet Leslie, you find Leslie is who doing, do it. yeah, Leslie is doing <clears throat> a little of it, but I'm yeah. thinking not so much as part of the community, but as something that even this. Um, diabetic group could begin working on together.
1: Yeah, well, this is really great because, you know, you could think about if people who are in the in the field of um, physical training um, could be doing, like, videos that could be posted on your website or on YouTube. The other thing I was thinking of when you were telling me your age and what you were willing, what you felt you were capable of doing, is I know that, um, and I'm not sure if they still do it, but Local departments, um, the Ys, um YMCA's, um, they used to, ha- they had classes called Silver Sneakers.
3: And What it was, yeah. it was geared
1: to people that are older, and it was really chair exercises. And I,
4: I I'm, I'm, with- I'm more. Uh, that's a great suggestion for many. I will tell you that I'm more active than sitting in a chair, so oh, okay. I need something in that middle ground. But it is a great suggestion, and there are many people who would benefit from that.
1: yeah Yeah. um so and the other things i would think about is 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 walking and if you um can go walking with friends or family i think walking is always wonderful we always know it's always great to be outdoors um and then also sometimes you know um i have little grandchildren they come over i turn on music and we just dance (laughs) so but but yeah you've 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 um brought up some really good ideas and i think you're giving your organization some uh, ideas to add to their to-do list to better serve their members
3: joseph you may speak Thank you. First, I wanted to quickly ask if you can clarify the opening code. I I thought I heard it conflicting. That's why um, I wanted to ask that. But I do actually have some other questions regarding this. Um, uh, Is it still... um, I I thought at the time with gestational diabetes that um, it was 50% risk for the baby and 80% risk for the mother. And I wanted to see if that's still... um, um, kind of what research is suggesting, and I wanted to for the last um, lady, and I wanted to um, put this out. Orienteering is a nice way of getting exercise that's kind of different and fun. There are orienteering groups. Um, we don't have volts marches here that I know of, or a limited group. But, anyways, I wanted to put that out as a as an idea um, to the group. So I think. Okay, so
1: I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to answer your gestational. So I'm going to give it a, a, a try, and then I'm going to follow to follow. So what we know is that with gestational diabetes, um, w- when women are pregnant, there's all these extra hormones, female hormones supporting the pregnancy, which causes insulin resistance, which means your pancreas is making insulin, but the body isn't using it well. And so that, that's why you have to, that's why you end up with high blood sugar. So the usual treatment is like with with diet and checking blood sugars, um, and so, so I, I guess the, the way I would look at it is that when blood sugars are high, it increases the risk um, for a larger baby, which can lead to health problems for the baby. It can lead to um, with a larger baby can lead to more difficult childbirth. It can lead to health problems for the mother both um, during the pregnancy and <coughs> later. So the most important thing is helping, making sure that she, you know, like women are tested to make to, to early in pregnancy to see if they have gestational. And the important thing is. In- referral to a diabetes educator who can then work with you to look at what you're eating and testing blood sugars before and after every meal to ensure that your blood sugars are within a healthy range. Um, in terms of percentages, I'll, I'll, I guess what the best way I can answer, the closer your blood sugars are to normal, the more likely you'll have a healthy mother and a healthy baby. Um, the higher those numbers go, sometimes nature is unpredictable, but with really high numbers, it can lead to problems both for mom and baby. And Lisa, take it away. Can you add to that?
3: Um, If I'm sorry, if I can just interrupt a second, Um, I'm talking about post baby um, because that was something that was kind of anecdotal. Oh, well, the baby is at risk for the rest of his life of being 50 percent, 50 percent risk of getting diabetes and the mother at 80 percent. And I think that information isn't isn't being conveyed. And is that still your understanding? Or maybe you have no knowledge of this at all.
1: No, 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 I, I can answer that question so that when you have gestational diabetes um, one of the first things they're going to do once the baby is born and at your six-week checkup they're going to see to make sure your blood sugars have gone back to normal having gestational diabetes puts you at risk for developing type 2 diabetes later in life so knowing that fact would mean that you're going to do everything we would encourage that you do everything within your within your possibility of healthy lifestyle to reduce that risk and that would be healthy eating uh, physical activity, stress management, sleeping, getting enough sleep, and um, maybe working with a, a, a diabetes educator to because basically you're at risk for developing type two diabetes, um, and so that it's lifestyle. It's lifestyle is what's going to reduce your genetics has a piece, but the lifestyle piece is the part that you can impact on.
2: Um, I don't. I'm not a gestational diabetes expert, so I don't know those numbers. So um, it is, you know, like Brenda was saying. Um, Reach out to the professionals because there's specific gestational diabetes curriculum that really help you during the pregnancy. And then I would consider myself pre-diabetic from then on to, to encourage myself to keep up with those healthy behaviors so I never and the baby never has to have diabetes in the future.
1: Excellent. Well,
0: I want to close this by first and foremost, thanking our co-presenters, Brenda Javidic and Lisa Golden. Another, we worked you pretty hard today, ladies. You got to do two sessions. So you were on for two and a half, two and a half hours. So anyway, another great job. Thank you both so much. Um, Thanks to all of you who came today. Mm -hmm. For those of you that did not, uh, were not able to get your questions asked or answered, I'd ask that you send an email to the email address I gave out earlier, and that is ACBDA, abbreviation for ACB Diebacks in Action, so acbdaorg at gmail.com. And with that, I am going to give out the closing CEU code, so you guys can all have it, Um, and that is 63650, 63650. Five zero. So again, thanks so much, thanks so much to our presenters for doing just a whiz bang job over these past two and a half hours, and uh, thanks to all of you for being here today. Um, I think we had a great session, and I will say that tomorrow, tomorrow we have another two other great sessions. Uh, two thirty, we have. Um, Marjorie DeBrine and Jeff Bishop, one of our ACBDA DA new officers, he's the second vice president. who will be talking about nutrition in the afternoon, from four o'clock to five fifteen. We have a segment segment on fitness with Karen Chemis and Steve Bauer from the California Council of the Blind, um, and then Wednesday. We have another two great, wonderful sessions at 2.30. Uh, we have our advocacy track with uh, Director of Advocacy and Government Affairs, Clark Rockfall, and our own Chris Gray uh, to talk about all things advocacy. And I know some people asked earlier about advocating for themselves with their doctors. And I know that, I know that Clark and, and Chris, Chris is really good at this. We'll talk about that. And then the afternoon session I think it's going to be really special at, at uh, 4 o'clock. We have a panel conversation with people who live with diabetes every day and have different uh, treatment uh, strategies, uh, both type 1 and type 2. So um, ACBDA, uh with Danette Dixon as our convention oh, program God. chair has really put together a whiz-bang program. So I hope you all can join us for the next couple days uh, for some really lovely and, I think, informative um, programming. So